You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And you know, people keep asking me after 400 episodes, "Are you back?" And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm back. And so it's Christy Morris. You couldn't get out of the old life, huh? I, you know, every time I think I'm out, they just keep pulling me back in. Same. So, uh, yeah. I even wore all black. <laughs> Oh, ah, well, you know, looking good in black too. I uh, so very nice. You could say I'm back in black. Hey, oh, (laughs) look at that! Yeah, well, we are excited to be back. Uh, We're going to be starting a new series, especially as we actually you start to look towards 2023 when there are going to be a lot of films that are coming out. Uh, A lot of them have been delayed. And uh, one of them that is going to be coming out is actually John Wick 4. And, you know, I think they're actually finally going to do the Continental series that they've been talking about as well. So we've got a lot of stuff coming out in the John Wick universe uh, not too far from now. And so we figured, hey, let's start the series. Uh, And so we're going to be talking about John Wick's first film. But before we do that, you know, of course, uh, we just... As always, we thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate you listening. Uh, It means a lot that people actually listen to the show. And if you would like to interact with Christy or I, one of the best places to do that is over on Twitter at the 602 Club, which is the show account for the uh, entire show. So that as well as Snyder Cuts and Assembling Avengers, all of that you can find there on Twitter and talk to to Christy, myself, of course, John Mills. Uh, we would love to be able to interact with you. So please follow us over there. You can also find us on Instagram at the 602 Club, TFM. Uh, we've got the entire network uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, where you can also find, of course, the 602 club as well as in the listeners only discussion group called the babel conference that you can join and you can talk to listeners from all over the world about every single show here on the network and then we've got our website at trek.fm if you would like to support us we would really appreciate that we are a lot lower than we would like to be in our monthly goal on patreon to be able to keep the network running so go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of the team and then of course Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this so you'll get the podcast as soon as it drops. And then if you would like to really help us out, go over to any of the uh, local podcatchers that allow you to leave a review like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the like and give us a star rating and a review really does help people find the show. So, well, Christy, uh, you know, we are starting John Wick uh, as the series and uh, you know, this wasn't on the outline, but it's something we often talk about, which is just kind of when we first were introduced to the, the film or, or saw the film. And so was this one that, you know, you saw when it came out uh, in the theaters in 2014? Or was this one that you found later on, uh, you know, because it kind of became a cult classic? 
This was when I actually came to a little differently. Um, at the time, I was going through some serious medical issues and was in and out of the hospital, actually. So um, we did not get to see it in the theater because of that. And then I finally heard about it and was curious, especially being a lover of Keanu Reeves anyway. And mm-hmm. I remember vividly my dear friend, Kevin Reitzel, who you probably know, um, yes, I do know Kevin. Yeah. Said, um, "Oh man, have y'all watched that yet?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "You haven't seen John Wick? You've been living under a rock? Jeez!" <laughs> so we decided to watch it. I believe with him at our house because of that. So thank you, Kevin, for making us watch John Wick. Because I mean, here we are now. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is one that I actually saw in the theater uh, in in twenty. 20- uh, 14 and uh, it you know like you you know I, I do enjoy Keanu Reeves and I remember just seeing the trailer and think to myself well that looks like a lot of fun and of course you know it definitely everything about it kind of has almost a matrixy type of feel mm-hmm. uh, you know Keanu Reeves is is already been great in that when it comes to doing this type of action film. So to see him in this role, you know, was not a stretch it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and so I was, you know, excited to see this movie. And and in all honesty, I just remember coming out of it and thinking, oh, that's a great action film. You know, like that. It's it's kind of um, in many ways everything you want an action film to be, um, which is kind of wall-to-wall action for the most part. Uh, And, you know, really, in some ways, kind of reminded me of a slicker, you know, 80s, 90s action movie. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just really well done, really well shot, all those type of things. And so, yeah, for me, you know, getting into the the John Wick series, which, of course, had no idea would become a series, uh, but... Yeah, I was glad that I had seen it in the theater back in. And, you know, it's always interesting as we go back and rewatch these movies, uh, especially ones that have been out for quite a while. I haven't seen this first one in, in quite some time. And I forgot that, you know, it has a cold open uh, yeah. where the movie starts basically at the end. And... Then it kind of slowly builds into to the movie itself. So, uh, getting back into the film, how did you feel? Uh, you know, kind of being like just immediately dropped in to this scene and realizing, of course, oh well, this this can't be where we're starting. Well, that is my favorite way to start a movie. I feel like every movie should start with a cold open. Don't give me the expositional dialogue unless you're <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, I I love this kind of thing. And I think that you can definitely grip an audience better when you throw them straight into the middle of the story and then have to explain as you go. So I love that rewatching this, that was something that surprised us as well, that it I, I just did not remember it starting that way. And then too, like you said, I definitely agree that doing things like The Matrix or even other action films like Point Break and Speed, this was not something new role-wise for Keanu. 
and I think even is interesting in the way that they style the character of John Wick to be almost like a a little bit of Constantine even. He's definitely got that vibe of going back and forth almost like a Jekyll and Hyde between mm-hmm. two personalities. He's either the adoring husband who's left that life or he's like the devil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I think to uh, dropping you into that scene as the cold open is definitely a great way, I think, to to catch your attention immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it does kind of leave you wondering because they leave it on a cliffhanger until you get back to that scene of whether or not the character will die or not. Right. And I, I think that as you do that throughout this movie, you know, you're thinking about that. Is is this character, John Wick, is he not going to make it because this is kind of his last hurrah, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I think it, it gives you that trepidation throughout the entire film, you know, and, and an unease in some ways about, you know, you're no, you know he's not going to die throughout a lot of the things he goes through, but you don't know if he's going to make it out of the film alive, which is a great thing for the cold open to do and, and kind of leave you in that spot. But, you know, the other thing I think that the film does here from the open is that it builds slowly. You know, it, it lets us into the loss of his wife um, and his uh, emotional struggle with dealing with that. Um, you know, obviously the delivery of uh, the, the puppy. Um, but even before that delivery of the puppy, I mean, we, we see this guy, uh, you know, going to an airfield and trying to work off frustration by driving like a maniac. Right. And which at the same time, and this is something that the movie does, I think, a really good job of is the way in which it allows you to see the character doing things that are going to come back into play later. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a a understanding, okay, I know what this character is capable of in many ways because I've already started to see what this character is capable of in a different context. And then they put it into the context and you're like oh okay i see what you're doing there at the beginning of the film Mm -hmm. so that slow build of the of the film i i think does a really good job there at the beginning because you know it's slower than you think it would be at the beginning and then all of a sudden you know you snap your fingers and you you're off and running for the rest of the film but i i really think they do a great job you can get cold open they give you that slow build there then and it really does a great job, I think, of of setting the tone of the film. And that you don't necessarily, well, you, you don't know this whole other past that he has, actually, until you're further into the film when you meet Vigo. And I don't think it's really until Vigo is explaining to his son that he just opened up a whole can of worms by attacking this guy in particular that you really understand what John Wick is capable of and that he's more than just 
this man that's had this series of unfortunate circumstances. I think that adds a whole other layer to it, obviously, because they don't give any of that away until that point. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true because, you know, before that, you really do kind of, you you get the sense like there's something about this guy, you know, the fact that he can go into the... um Oh, the airfield air by just nodding yeah, exactly. at a guy. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. There's there's something about him that's different. But again, that's one of those things where we're setting up us to get to that other place, right? Right. Uh, and, and I think that's so cool because we we truly do have a a really well crafted film. You know, it's very tight in its storytelling so that, again, a lot of the things that they're setting up at the beginning, slowly but surely, and then when we just, you know, we snap our fingers and we hit the ground running, you f- you feel ready for it, you know? Um, and so I think, I think that that's really, really smart. Oh, definitely. I, and there's so many things here to unpack as well with just not really giving much dialogue. For a while, it's very visual. And if you're not paying attention to all of the cold open, then there are important things you would miss. So, yeah, I I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you. Um, Well, you know, obviously, one of the the key things for this film uh, comes down to the casting of, of Keanu Reeves. And we already talked just a little bit about that idea. Um, but, um, you know, I think one of the the beauties uh, of this is that even before we get into them filming and we're talking about his performance and everything, he becomes a real champion of the script uh, and helping with the script. And then he helps bring in the directors, um, and who are both people who have worked as stunt performers, stunt coordinators. Uh, they actually work in tandem together, although David Leach uh, a- actually isn't credited as a director, um, but he he actually did help with the direction of the film. Um, and so he is integral to the creation of this movie, the actor. You know, like Keanu Reeves is is somebody who is is actually responsible for much of the way that this movie turns out, which I think is actually really impressive. You know, it it, it brings to mind, um, you know, we uh, we see the same thing with somebody like a Tom Cruise, who, yep. you know, becomes very invested with the, the movies that he makes and the characters that he's playing and 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 working very diligently to to create films uh, that he would want to see, that he would be proud of. And and I feel like, uh, you know, uh, Keanu is, is very much involved with that here. And so as much as we would praise anyone, I think one of the people to, to really lift up in this film is Keanu Reeves for the way that this film turns out in the first place. 1,000%. And I will say I've wondered because of knowing some of his personal story in life if that didn't influence this character greatly as well because he also is personally no stranger to tragedy and did lose his wife 
So I wonder if that was also a big part of why you end up with that as the basis of this story. Although obviously Kolstad wrote the uh, script, they did work on it together later on. So I, I just wondered that, but also he is such a person that is so devoted. Like you said, the first person I thought of as well, that would be similar is Tom Cruise to making it the best it could possibly be. And really caring about the writing of the story. And also they've said multiple times that he cared about all of the other characters and how they're all interwoven together more than the screenwriters originally did that it was originally much more focused on solely John Wick. And it was Keanu that came in and said, no, these other four that he's really surrounded by more than anyone else are every bit as important and need to have a bigger role than they do. Yeah. Which is a a huge benefit to the film because I think, uh, you know, as we move into the rest of the movie and, you know, the character of John Wick gets plugged back in to this universe uh, that we weren't aware of beforehand, right, that that this character has really been a part of, is he slowly works his way back into that. And we see all of these connections that he ends up having because of who he was before. I think it does make a huge difference to the film that those other characters then have not only a part to play, but a a personal connection with him, which then, of course, you know, leads you to not knowing which side of the coin they're going to end up being on, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And are they going to choose to be supportive of John Wick or not? And Right, like Marcus played by Willem Dafoe. Yes, Yep, 100%. So, um, and, you know, I I think um, one of the things that uh, I really uh, appreciate, too, about his performance, and and, um, it's something that uh, you had had sent over to me, and you have the the great article that came out in Men's Health back in the day where, uh, you know, they were talking about the work that Keanu uh, put into making sure that he looked like he knew what he was doing when it came to the handling of the weapons he was going to be using, that he looked like a professional. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, it, that comes down to his dedication to the performance, his ability to do this, these action scenes. Obviously, we've already seen him be, be able to do action scenes in the matrix, be able to use guns in the matrix. Um, but here, I mean, it, it clearly is, uh, I think, impressive in the in the sense that, you know, this this guy looks like a trained killer, and he looks like the best of the trained killers. Uh, and so, his dedication to that performance, I think, it changes the movie because you believe this guy could walk into a room and be able to kill everybody else without basically getting a scratch. Right, and be so excellent of a marksman at pinpointing pinpointing exactly who his targets are mm-hmm. and yep. mostly using a silencer to wipe people out before the rest of them even know he's coming. I think mm-hmm. that it 
also made people even bigger fans of the film to see these videos later of him in Men's Journal because it felt like he cares this much. And also, dang, I wouldn't want to get in fight with him in real life either. <laughs> right. Um, and yep. and he also did choreography. He didn't just do the marksmanship training, but he learned things mm-hmm. like jujitsu um, and some really interesting things that kind of give it a samurai vibe. So the fighting was also mostly him doing his own stunts as well. Which I think, you know, again, we, we've we seen his ability to be able to do that. And so, you know, it makes sense why he would be attracted to this role in so many different ways. Like you said, the personal nature of this story and where it would connect with him. Uh, and then, of course, very much uh, his love of kind of doing these type of films, these type of action roles. You know, this mm-hmm. he, he's definitely a, a character who loves that. Um, and so I, I think it's, I don't know if enough can be said to how much he makes this movie work. Um, and it's, it's, it really is very impressive. Um, and so, and I think one of the things that I also enjoy is that, you know, he gives us the ability to be able to have that question of the impact that this life has on you. Right. And the fact that it that this life leaves a mark and can you ever really escape a past like this? Or is it always going to haunt you? Um, and I, I think um, that's a really interesting question because, you know, can you ever escape a violent life like this? That's a that's a really interesting question. And one that I feel like they've still left fairly open-ended, but mm-hmm. lean yes. a little bit toward probably not just in the fact that I feel like they kind of make the same point that like Spider-Man makes, right? Where everyone that you love will always be vulnerable even though you've supposedly tried to leave that life, like Vigo says as well, it does follow you like a curse. So, you know, Vigo even connected it to maybe it was God's repayment of your past that your wife got sick and died because this is you reaping what you sowed. Mm-hmm. So it, it is very yeah. interesting from that perspective as well and, and showing the juxtaposition of the two of them where Vigo has accepted that this is his lot in life and that his son made his bed and now he's got a lie in it and he's trying to tell John Wick that he's done the same thing and that you're not better than me in that sense. You're not going to be able to get out of it. Whereas... John really thought he could and maybe still thinks he can because it does seem that he's got a shred of good in him and that when he went into the the bathhouse, for example, did you notice that he never killed any of the women? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, he doesn't kill unnecessary people. Right. Um, Anyone that's innocent know, that's not coming after yep. him. Well, and and it was interesting too because you know, I, I think the question is then accentuated by the fact that his wife had left him the dog on purpose, and she felt that he needed that continued connection 
with something else to help him be able to see that there's more to life, right? And right. and the idea of being loved, right? And that life really is is not about all of this other stuff. It is about the love relationships that we have. And by her being taken, that she worried that that would be something to which he would get dragged back into this life. And shut himself and off. So, exactly. Um, and so she knew he needed this connection with something living, with something real, um, and something that, to love and something to be loved by. And I, I think that's a just a really important question and issue. And I think that's one of the things that uh, is... Uh, okay, when we ask the question of of whether or not, you know, you can escape a past like that, and I think the only way that you can is to be able to have somebody there for you who sees you as something different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously his wife did that for him. And now that she's gone, it's, you know, it, it's a question uh, of whether or not, you know, he would be able to uh, move forward or if he's just going to be stuck back in, in that life, you know. And of course, you know, uh, the the famous statement of the movie that we were referencing there at the beginning of like, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And yeah, he's back because of a very different reason than before. You know, mm -hmm. it used to be business, but now it's personal. Right. Well, and and I think that they also show that he's not all bad in the sense that he clearly does have that unconditional love for the dog that he is given. And they show how truly horrible someone like Yosef is to be able to kill someone's dog. I think we would all mm -hmm. agree that yeah. you have to have no soul to kill a dog. Yeah, I'm not a huge dog fan, but yeah, that's just not cool. Yeah. Um what it's yeah, that's ridiculous. Because it's so. something that's so pure, I guess I would say. They're yeah. they're innocent, they're pure. They literally love anyone that will love them completely unconditionally. Mm -hmm. They're devoted. And so it's like it just completely is grotesque to to do something like that to something like that. Um yes. And so they're showing that he he had a shred of hope in him because of her, his wife and because of his dog, and that was taken from him. And I like that he explains it like that to Vigo. He's like, your son mm -hmm. took the only hope I had left in me. <laughs> That's how we got here. So, no, he deserves everything he gets. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's absolutely true. Which, it kind of leads me into, you know, the, the story here, for the most part, it's somewhat simple in the fact that, you know, he's out for revenge because somebody killed 
the last present that he ever got from his wife. And stole his car. And and stole his car, which of course we don't even get to get back yet in this in this uh movie. And uh so, you know, maybe they'll do a part two and we'll get to see him get his car back. So uh which is a gorgeous car, by the way. In fact, he only drives gorgeous cars, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. But you know, I, I think that in many ways they do a great job of making this film relatively simple in the plot and not overcomplicating things. Um, and that helps, I think, this movie be really successful. And I think it's also a movie that it, it makes it really accessible to people as well because, you know, this is a movie that anybody can watch at any time, you know? Um, I mean, maybe not, obviously kids but like <laughs> right. th- th- this movie you can pop in and watch uh, at just about any time you don't uh, you know it doesn't take quote unquote a lot of brain power uh, to watch this movie and that's not because it's a bad movie it's just because the movie rightly understands um, how to create a plot that draws you in uh, and keeps you going without unnecessary complications exactly and honestly makes it even more fascinating to me that this is the first directorial debut of Stahelski. I guess is how you say his last name. Mm-hmm. He was a stuntman that Keanu knew from doing the matrix with. And he said, Keanu said that because of the work he saw with the stunts being done back then by Stahelski and Leach, that he felt like this movie would be right up their alley and that he was secretly hoping mm-hmm. they would agree to direct it because he thought the way the treatment they would give to it would fit so well. And clearly it did because they did yep. more. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, no, absolutely. And um, I, again, I, I think this is one of those things where I'm always just really impressed by um, the writing and, and something that, you know, I think connects really well with that, though, is the fact that, yes, this is a simple story, but there is some really interesting world building that's going on in the sense that we're dropping you into this whole other side of the, the world we don't basically know exists, right? Mm-hmm. This world of assassins. And their world has all of these very interesting rules to it. You know, um, they you know, use gold coins and there's this place called the Continental, which is, you know, a meeting place for them and a place where, you know, it's supposed to be basically Switzerland. Um, and, you know, you're not allowed to do any company business there, but you can have meetings and stuff. And, you know, uh, the idea that there's this world of high-priced assassins with their own rules, with basically their own kind of form of government really uh you know yeah. like it it's it's such really cool world building and i think that may be the thing that is what kind of spurred them to do more films right because people wanted to see more of that they wanted to see that expounded upon because they felt like they did such a good job here but obviously we don't get all of it you know they they put in I think just the right 
they put in just the right amount of world building uh, without overloading you in any way, which is mm-hmm. a, a key to also the, the story there. You you can't um, you can't go overboard on the world building, or else you'll kind of the the film will feel crushed under the weight of that. Right, like some of the best movies. It keeps you interested in this one and in possible future ones because of the mystery, because they're only showing you the 10% on the surface and that there's all of this other underworld going on that you want to know more about. And so that's why I love that even like with the lighting of the Continental, you know, at the front desk, it's like you only really see the one guy manning the desk and you don't really know what else is going on in that building at any one time. And how they have this way of speaking even that's in code. And it, like you said, they, they have a, a sort of moral code that they go by. That clearly, for example, Perkins breaks. Yep. And so it is It is fascinating. And it, it pulls together, I think, a lot of interesting things that were true in history, like a speakeasy kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That there's this whole world that lives just behind the door that you didn't notice at the end of the hallway. Right. So, yeah, it, absolutely. The world building was so good and it, and they kept it simple enough, just like we've talked about how, you know, they, they did Ghostbusters, for example. They give you just enough to be able to suspend your disbelief, but not to overwhelm you. Right. No, I think you said it perfectly there. And, you know, I, I love uh, the idea of what you said, like the speakeasy, because there is this like... Um, you know, neo-noir feel to this whole world, you know, mm-hmm. even the way the movie is shot uh, and the color palette and everything else, the, the costuming of everybody wearing these, you know, very nice tailored suits that they go to do their business in. Uh, and and yet, um, you know, they're all loaded with guns and knives and all sorts of stuff all over them. And yet they look like they're, you know, going to the bank could be. <laughs> yeah, or uh, they could they could be on a very nice night out on the town, right? Yeah. You know, um, and so no, I I hundred percent agree. I think you know the the world you did, uh, you said it so well. The world building here is exactly what the movie needs, and not more. Yes, and that's really important that this movie, I think, really finds that balance. And then, like you said, it creates kind of this mystery because, you know, would you like to know more? Uh, and put a coin in the I door. Pe- exactly. <laughs> People said yes. Exactly. So, um, you mentioned the fact that you know we had Perkins played Adrian. Pilecki, I think that's how you say her last name. Um, and, you know, she was, I've known her for a while. Obviously, she was in uh, Friday Night Lights. And so I knew um, her from the Orville. But, well, that too. She's in that as well now. But I mean, this cast is littered with people that you have seen in other places. I mean, this cast has mayhem in it. It does. Dean Winters. I know. <laughs> Yes. So, which, like, he's not in enough things. No. Uh, but he's so good. I mean, but 
just the fact that, you know, you were able to get Willem Dafoe and John Leguizamo, Ian McShane, I mean, Bridget Moynihan, a very small role is his hu- his wife. I mean, Alfie Allen, who plays the son, Yosef, I mean, he was in Game of Thrones. They he would great joy. Game of Th- yeah, just a <laughs> terrible, you know, like all of these people, like they do great work elsewhere. And then uh, Lance Reddick, who you know, plays Sharon, the the uh, concierge mm-hmm. at the, the Continental. I mean, he's so fantastic, and I, I I knew him from Lost. So, like, this cast is, like, jam-packed with incredible actors who bring life, no matter how small of a role they have, in such a way that, like, I was just really... I forgot that all of these people were in this movie, honestly. And I was loving every time they were coming on screen... And it was just the right casting to make that role come alive. Again, no matter how big or small it was. Yep. Yeah, I I think that they especially really thought about who they were putting as a a villain and a um, a confidant and a uh, an enemy with Perkins. I think that it wasn't even just the attention you would pay to regular casting, but I felt like it was just so fitting, especially having Alfie Allen as Yosef, because he played such a slimy character as Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones to the point of right. every right. time I see him now, I'm like, you. So. Well, and then he has such a role there where, you know, he he becomes one that you end up feeling so sorry for at the end, like which that show was so famous for doing to, to make you completely flip on a character. You didn't ever think you could flip on, you know? So I didn't yeah, No, I a hundred percent. I mean, I, I did. I, I mean, I, I found him to be really sympathetic, uh, in, in the end. Um, but that's a whole other story. But yeah. but yeah, no, I agree with you. You're absolutely right. He is that type of character actor, like where he's able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I really, I, I, sorry that I keep bringing it up, but I was so surprised with Adrian Palicki as Perkins because I, I've just only known her for me from the Orville. So she's a completely different kind of character here than she is in, you know, mm-hmm. the happy go lucky, yeah. usually sci-fi show. So I thought that she did such a great job of coming across menacing and conniving and everything you want in someone who is just a gun for hire. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have a moral code and then she gets hers for it because some of them have something at least. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, and and I think that was something where you, you know, you put Ian McShane in here, who was yeah. uh, famous for Deadwood. And, you know, he plays this kind of like, very suave, genteel character. And yet at the same time, there's a real underlying menace to him. Like, you're you're not quite sure... If you can trust him yeah. or, you know, what side of the aisle basically he is on, you know, is he is, is he on John's side? Is he not on John's side? We don't really know, you know? And so, um, and I, I think, you know, this was the thing too, is, is that, and you mentioned it earlier when we we're talking about Keanu, but where he asked that all of these characters have some kind of relation to John Wick in some way to make these roles 
mean more. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you said earlier too, you know, when when Willem Dafoe, Marcus ends up being on his side, but you're not quite sure if that's going to be the case because you've already gotten the idea that this world is a, basically a dog-eat-dog world. Mm-hmm. It's just it, you put him in that role. You believe that he would maybe be the cold-blooded killer who would basically kill a friend for two million. Yeah, I mean, he accepted the contract. Of, yeah, exactly. But it's also Willem Dafoe, and we've seen him be villainous before. So mm-hmm. again, it's 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 just the, the, I think the perfect and right casting for for all of these roles. And so, um, obviously, you know, we've we've mentioned the idea of this movie being an action movie. And, of course, you know, there's an incredible amount of gunplay, sort of like, a, you know, gun fu, the fight choreography and scenes with, um, you know, different types of martial arts. You know, you've got car stunt work as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all honesty, rewatching the film, I was very surprised in a lot of ways just how well not only all of this holds up by but just how slick it is like it. And and I don't mean that in a bad way whatsoever. Like, I mean that as a complete compliment that everything about this movie just looks so good, you know, so well shot the action choreography, uh, the, and and the way it's photographed, uh, the lighting choices, like all of these things work together to create an action movie that, you know, I think, this was the type of film that was really building upon all the type of action movies that we had got where, you know, this takes everything from like the Matrix, the Bourne Identity to the new Bond movies to all those things and then puts that all together and creates John Wick. Yeah, I especially have to applaud here the costume choices and the lighting because I will say for sure there's a lot of shows and movies now where I've complained that it's too dark literally like it's hard mm-hmm. to see what's yeah. happening unless i turn out all the lights in my living room but this doesn't have that issue because they've they're able to keep it looking dim but still have some pops of color yeah. here and there like especially i'm thinking of the bathhouse was very well lit but still being a very mm-hmm. mood set um you know dim cozy environment same thing with the bar and then when they go into the club called the red circle and even the way that you know john wick's house is lit when he's being attacked versus when he's going to bed with the puppy like that was clearly so well thought out and like you said the way it's shot um they thought a lot of as well about the sound the sound effects Mm -hmm. um oh yes and then it, I don't know, it just felt, feels like this quilt of everything that was layered so well together that it just works. Like you said, it, it's slick in yeah. that sense in such a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I just, you know, it's, the movie has an incredible style uh, in the action. But then even the style that they choose uh, for the way that they do the subtitles is stylized and it feels like it fits within this world you know like when they speak russian and it comes up on the Mm -hmm. screen yep uh and it just feels like 
the action was a driver for how everything else in the movie should look and feel. And so it feels very cohesive. And that's really impressive for a movie like this where, you know, many action movies can feel weighted one way or another. And this one just feels consistent all the way through. And it it leaves you enjoying going from one scene to the next. Because I, I didn't feel like, especially re-watching the film, that there was really any place anywhere that I was pulled out of it for any reason. Which is, I think, a really phenomenal place to, to be. You, you don't want to be pulled out in any way, shape, or form from a movie like this. Uh, and so, therefore, that consistency in the action, that consistency in the way the movie is shot, what it feels like from scene to scene is just really well done. And so, um, I guess, you know, Christy, that just leads me to the the question of, and, you know, I, I think, I don't know if we've had any part of the the movie that we haven't praised, but I guess one question I wanted to ask just beforehand to kind of bring it full circle is, you know, the fact that John Wick lives at the end, um, did that feel earned and, and legitimate to the movie? Um, or do we start maybe even there creating almost a superhero type character um, more so than somebody who feels real did it did it work for you that john wick survives it does because i think the biggest thing they did with that that was so important that made it feel that it does work is it wasn't ever easy for him i think if a main character's journey is not challenging enough and doesn't show that they're a real person that's capable of making mistakes or of getting caught by surprise um where you're afraid at some point they won't survive if it's too easy it can come across boring and that something is clearly not as well thought out right because we don't want our hero or anti-hero to have it too easy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why this works, because they show that he needed sometimes for Marcus to save him. Or he was caught off guard and knocked down by the car toward the end. Um, and even though he survives, he's still almost mortally injured. <laughs> yeah, He's barely, yeah. you know, skipping out of there, so... I, th- mm-hmm. I think it works because of those reasons. You know, I, I think that you 100% nailed why it worked. Uh, and that is because John Wick doesn't survive this film without having people who are on his side. Mm-hmm. And so therefore he's not a superhero uh, because there are places where he would have just been dead. He did not get out unscathed. <laughs> it, exactly. So, ex- you know, Except for the kindness of, of, I don't know, can you call them friends in this, as close as you can get mm-hmm. in this life? Uh, you know, he has people that are on his side and willing to help him. And so the fact that he survives does feel earned because, like you said, it wasn't easy. It was hellish. Uh, and he almost didn't make it. And because of that, 
Um, I think it absolutely works that he survives. So, no, I'm glad that's the case. And, of course, you know, we'll talk about the other films when we get there. But, uh, Chrissy, it does lead me to that final question as to what you would rate John Wick. I had to think about it because I don't give everything a five, obviously. I think that's really got to be something that stands out in my mind as the perfect quintessential movie. So I I don't have anything really negative to say about it, but I, I think that, you know, maybe one or two little things could have been maybe tweaked. Um, but overall, it's so well put together and simple. I think the biggest thing it has going for it is that it keeps it down to a few characters that are well-written. It has mm-hmm. good action. I think the only things I could knock it for is that although the sound effects are very good, the music itself, it doesn't really have a recognizable or memorable theme um, the only song I really remember from it is the the Marilyn Manson song about killing strangers, mm-hmm. which is a good yeah. song, actually. I didn't think I would like Marilyn Manson music, but there you go. Um, so that's the only thing I kind of think takes me out of it a little. Um, sure. So ultimately, I end up giving it a four and a half out of five beautiful vintage cars because, dang, I want that car. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, uh, when I went back to the film, I think I had it at a three and a half, which I don't <gasps> know why, because this is clearly four and a half star film. Yes. I mean, it could be a five, in all honesty, uh, because it might be one of those perfect action films, you know, where it's just like everything works about this movie. I I don't think there's anything that doesn't work. I think the only thing that you you might have pinpointed there is that maybe the music could have been better. And I, I might've loved Mike them not using that song twice mm. in the film, which, you know, maybe that's the only critique I have of the film. So yeah, four and a half out of five. This is, I mean, just a great action film. It's so much fun to watch, you know, and it's going to be so fascinating to continue on with the series to see where we go because it's, hard to eclipse a start like this really uh you know and there are very few films to which i felt like the series has actually gotten better uh you know uh, in action films wise i I, you know i think maybe mission impossible one of the few that i felt like be that to be the case Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously the james bond series has has been able to do that where you have the up and downs you know but you have some really high ups that come Mm -hmm. uh and so yeah. Uh, well, Christy, I'm really excited to see, though, what you would want to recommend to everybody this week. So I don't know if you remember, but we have talked sometimes about things that, although we wouldn't say are incredible pieces of film, they are incredible to us because they're just so beloved personally. And so I've got one of those to recommend today because I was just thinking along the spy assassin genre. Um, and I remembered a movie that my dad and I have always loved watching together that is just so dang funny, even though it's not, like I said, an incredible piece of film. Um, it's just fun. 
Do you remember the 2002 film I Spy with Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson teaming up together? I do remember that film. I love that film. It is just so fun. It makes light of the spy genre. Um, Seeing the two of them together in sort of a buddy cop kind of movie is just such funny casting to me. Um, And then, you know, you have people like Famke Jensen in it that really give you that love interest level as well. Um, And Eddie Murphy, of course, is hilarious anytime, but especially in this. So I recommend checking out I Spy from 2002 with Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson for just a good laugh. Awesome. Well, I'm going to recommend to everybody, uh, of course, we had uh, just recently uh, celebrated 60 years of Bond. Mm -hmm. uh, And now, of course, all 25 Eon films are on uh, Amazon Prime. And so, of course, you can go back and listen to every single Bond film. We've done all of them. Uh, We haven't done the spoof, uh, but we have done 26 Bond films, including Never Say Never Again. But I just watched... For the 60th anniversary on Amazon Prime, they released this special documentary about the sound of 007, where they talk about the music and the soundtracks throughout the years of Bond. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to be able to kind of go back and hear about the creation of the sound, where it came from. Of course, the original theme uh, by Monty Norman and, of course, John Barry's work and you know, it was it was just great. So I highly recommend you check it out. You know, you don't even have to be a huge James Bond fan. You could just be a fan of of soundtracks and film and and be able to enjoy the documentary. So that's called The Sound of 007 there on Amazon Prime. Very but cool. Christy, if you know people want to catch up with you, where should they look to find you online? Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell and of course also in the Babel Conference. And when I'm not here on the 602 Club, you can find me on a finished show that I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And, uh, you know, who knows what else may be coming down the road. But what about you? Well, uh, you could find me all over social media uh, under the name Rushing 2 whether that's Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Pharaoh. Uh, you can also find me here, of course, on the network when I'm not in the 602 Club with you or with John Mills on Snyder Cuts and Assembling Avengers, which will have a new episode of Assembly Avengers coming out this week. Uh, you can also find me uh, doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and... The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard. And then I'm over on the Nerd Party with two different shows. One is called Owl Post. That was with Drea Kaufman. And we talked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then the great John Mills and I are doing aggressive negotiations as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 